This is Radio Influence. You are sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Welcome to another edition of Sitting Ringside. My name is David Penzer, and as always, we welcome you to this thing we call a podcast. Uh, have a fun guest this week. I'm a big fan. I'm a big mark. This man, Fox News contributor, uh, just returned to Impact and uh, also doing very, very well in the movie and TV realm. So uh, certainly expanding uh, on many, many, many platforms. We're going to talk to Tyrus in a moment, and uh, he's always fun to talk to. and. Uh, Looking forward to that. Well, I have a second before I start. Is it me or is this like the quietest January and February uh, in the history of WrestleMania buildups? There's like no headlines. I think the biggest headline going, there was the two biggest headlines I've heard uh, in the last three, two or three weeks was JB going to WWE and Jeff Jarrett possibly being inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. While as a, a, a quote unquote Jeff Jarrett guy, you could call me, I guess. Uh, I, I really hope that he has that opportunity and was shocked about Jeremy going to WWE, but uh, wish him the best of uh, success. Nothing against those guys, but when those are the two biggest stories in my mind going into, you know, a couple of months away from the biggest event of all time, seems like it's slow. I don't know. Uh, let me know what you think. You could always uh, hit me up at David Penzer or at Penzer ringside, but, uh, one of the reasons I know a lot of you out there enjoy the uh, conversations that um, that Mike Freeland, our associate producer, and I have, and one of the reasons he hasn't been on in a few weeks is uh, there's, there's just not a lot of hot wrestling news to talk about. So um, let us know what you think. As I said, at David Penzer, at Penzer Ringside, you could email us. Uh, any questions at David Penzer at RadioInfluence.com. David Penzer, all one word, at RadioInfluence.com. want to thank Pat McNeil from Pro Wrestling Torch for having me on his podcast, Making the List. You could check it out. Uh, have a link to it on my uh, Twitter feed. And uh, we spent an hour and we discussed and came up with the top seven. Actually, it's eight because I decided to have a 7A and a 7B moments of WCW Monday Nitro. So if you're an old Nitro fan or a new Nitro fan watching on WWE Network uh, and you want to get a couple of guys' takes on... Uh, and what the top moments are was one that was sitting ringside for every Nitro. Never miss one. So uh, be sure to check that out. It, was, uh, it, it aired live last Tuesday, almost a week ago, called Making the List, the top WCW Nitro moments. So I want to thank Pat for, for, have, for him having me on. And uh, be sure to check it out if you get a chance. So without further ado, I do want to welcome somebody who... I, I have to admit it. I'm, 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 I'm a bit jealous of, and not so much because he's like way bigger than me and, and, and had much, you know, way more success than me. And I'm, I'm jealous of him because he's friends with Greg Gutfeld. And if you're not familiar with Greg Gutfeld, he's a Fox news host and uh, he's on a show called the five every weekday at five o'clock. And they talk about uh, all sides of different political situations and worldviews. And uh, he has his own show. That airs Saturday nights at 10 o'clock on Fox News. And my next guest is uh, his bodyguard and right-hand man, his wingman, and uh, appears every week. And as we tape this, uh, he's uh, in the green room about to tape the Greg Gutfeld show for this weekend. So 
I'm excited to welcome to this podcast my friend Tyrus. All right, we are happy to have this week. He is in New York City getting ready to film the Greg Gutfeld show. It airs Saturday nights uh, at 10 o'clock on Fox News and repeats a few times during the rest of the weekend. And uh, uh, I'm a big Greg Gutfeld fan, as most people know. Uh, a very funny guy, and the show is a must-watch for me. So uh, be sure to check it out, if, uh, especially if you're a Fox fan. Uh, I think you'll enjoy it. But uh, he is waiting to do that, and he has uh, graciously given us his time to sit ringside. So welcome to City Ringside, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Tyrus, uh, formerly known as Brodus Clay, real name George Murdoch. Welcome to City Ringside. Great to have you back. Oh, man, thanks for having me on. appreciate it. Uh, big fan, as you know. Big Mark, as you know. Uh, but uh, last time we had John for about 50 minutes when we were there at the uh, Impact uh, tapings and we talked about a little bit of how you got into uh your job as a fox news contributor but we didn't really have a chance to get into your career being a bodyguard and uh, wwe so i just wanted to talk a little bit about about uh how you got to where you are which is you know i understand you're doing a million and one things and and uh, having incredible success that we congratulate you on so just to start out, I'm just wondering, how does one go from playing college football to working as a bodyguard for Snoop Dogg? Um, well, it's a, a road with many twists and turns. I, uh, after college, I chased football for probably uh, three more years. I played uh, arena ball. I had a bunch of tryouts, and finally I was down in um, Louisville. Uh, with a workout for the Cowboys. And that's when I had my uh, appendix rupture and didn't really know what it was. I was actually at a club and I couldn't understand why my thigh was hurting so bad. I thought it was something I did during drills during the day. And uh, it turned out it almost killed me because it exploded and there was all kinds of, I had to get like emergency surgery. And in the course of the surgery, some nerve endings were cut going down into my uh, left leg. So I literally basically had to kind of like learn to walk again after that. So football career was pretty much a wrap after that. Um, Try to play a little arena ball. Like, I mean, arena ball, I was still able to play at a high level there, but not couldn't, there was no way at my drop step was pretty much gone. And um, I had like I had some agents and we had some pretty good conversations going with different teams. And it looked like, you know, I would, before the injury, things were going really well, but it just didn't work out. Um, and I usually don't kind of hang around and dwell on stuff for too long. I have my degree, so I started uh, substitute teaching. I moved back to California from Texas. And uh, I was uh, substitute teaching and working at a kid's group home, which I think is like the official place where a lot of like young athletes who aren't going to be athletes anymore kind of go to reboot and uh, get a sense of what the real world's really about. And uh, to supplement my income, I started uh, bouncing clubs and I had met uh, a group, of, a core group of guys that I'm still friends with to this day, uh, Cornelius Harrell and uh, Big Stephen Keys, who still works with uh, Snoop. I think he's been with him for, I mean, maybe over 20 years. Uh, and just kind of like, just kind of grew up through the ranks, uh, bodyguarding and bouncing clubs with them. And then um, I just got on with Snoop. Uh, <laughs> It's like I was working like night shifts and stuff like that. And I went, I was, I was brought in whenever we had a concert or big thing like that. And, um, at the same time I was running, um, 
place called Saddle Ranch. And that's where I met Tommy Dreamer. And Tommy had saw me throw a couple guys out. He was very entertained with the way I threw them out. <laughs> and uh, he asked me, what was I doing? I said, oh, it's called the suitcase. When you grab a guy by a belt, you just kind of carry you got to knock him down first, and then you pick him up by the, the by the back of their pants with the belt and carry him out like a suitcase. And he was very entertained by that. He said I was a very entertaining uh, bouncer. You, you don't usually see that. He was like, yeah, you should be doing that on TV. And I laughed at him. I've been wrestling, watching wrestling my entire life, and I know you guys aren't hiring. <laughs> and uh, I said, you got a better chance working with me here. And he actually, Tommy actually finished the night working with us. Like it was. Wow. ridiculous like he's he's like yeah, i'm on i'll work i'm gonna do it i'm like you're serious and uh i was a fan of Tommy, so it was kind of funny seeing him help the club was over him walking people out to their cars and stuff it was pretty pretty hilarious and um didn't really know how to take him at first and gave him my information and uh thing i started getting really busy with snoop and uh got, got the call to go uh uh bill demont who was the head trainer in uh, McDonough, Georgia, and John Laronitis said, give me a look. And uh, I was like, well, um, never wrestled before, but, uh, you know, I'm an athlete, so if there's drills and stuff, I can certainly try it. And so they're like, yeah, well, I mean, what do you got to lose? Worst case scenario, you, you know, he went down and tried out for, you know, I think it was a five-day tryout. And uh, Bill threw everything at me but the kitchen sink, literally. Oh, I'm and, sure he um, did. And I, I loved every minute of it. I mean, it was the same as, as trying to make a football team. It was the same mentality, the same. I mean, it's. I think you have to be a special person to do what we do. And I think it's the service if it's not tough. If there's not, a, when you first get there, the desire for them to see if you have what it takes to stand up. Because honestly, the best thing about Deep South was it prepared me mentally for all of the things that happen outside of the ring. So you might be the better athlete, you might be the better talker, you might be the better performer, but if a writer or somebody doesn't feel that way about you, uh, it's not going to happen sometimes. And you have to be mentally tough because if you're not mentally tough, you're going to fall apart. And uh, that was the one good thing about Deep South was like, we, we were trolls, man. We just trained twice a day. We worked. We literally, we hung together. We, we bled together. We were broke together. You know, it was, uh, it was just like, I mean, it was a lot like football in terms of like training and regiment and responsibility and stuff like that. So, uh, and ended up uh, getting a deal and I was down there for what, two years. I was two years and went to Florida. Didn't kind of butted heads with the new, I'll say it politely, the new, uh, the new guard in, uh, Florida. And eventually, it was given my release. I went back. I went back to Snoop, and that's when I really flourished as his bodyguard. Started doing stuff just me and him. I started coaching this new football team. Did a couple uh, TV shows with him, which was uh, Dog After Dark, and uh, I think it was Father Knows Best or Dog Knows Best. Can't remember. There's a little reality series, so I got some exposure to TV stuff, and he kept talking about how entertaining and funny I was and stuff, and. And I could also be mean at the same time. So it was kind of learned a lot from being underneath him and um, picked his brain and stuff. And it was a good experience. And then uh, I don't know if it was his plan, but we were in Europe. And he didn't tell me that when we were coming back from Europe that he was going to Monday Night Raw. And I didn't want to go. I was like, bro, I got fired from there. 
I don't want to go. You don't go back to the place you get fired from. You don't want to be that guy. You know, the awkward hellos and stuff. And, oh, sorry, I never called. Like, all that stuff. I didn't want any parts. Sure. So uh, I tried to shift out. And he's like, you can't, can't shift out. So I was like, fine. I'm just not going to talk to anybody. I'm just going to be stoic. And uh, unfortunately, Cody Rhodes was the first person I saw in the parking lot. And he was he went to OBW, so he was the enemy anyways. And uh, he literally was like, what's up, man? And I just looked at him like, what? <laughs> I'll, I'll break you in half. He's looking at me the wrong way. And he was like, oh, okay. Right. <laughs> you know? And uh, when we got there, uh, John Laronitis and Cena actually met us when we came in. And John, uh, I didn't think he was going to shake. You know, because you just don't know. And my experience in life, when you usually get fired, that's it. You know yeah. what I'm saying? You don't really... Yeah, the, I didn't want to have an awkward conversation. I'd rather just be uncomfortable on my turn. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Like, what's, what's this big dude going to do? And he literally, uh, he shook my hand and he, it was great seeing you. You look great. You know, we introduced the Brock Snoop and the thing. And the first thing he said to me is, I think we made a mistake. And I was like, and he's like, any chance to be interested in coming back? And I said, well, I'm really happy in what I'm doing right now. Let me think about it. And I was like, just hearing that was, oh. Uh, a sense of accomplishment because I didn't I, after that I didn't feel uncomfortable being there anymore and I actually let my guard down and got said hi to some of my friends and stuff like that and and uh, just go back my first experience uh, I don't know if it was a river or whatever but Bill had uh, me wearing like combat boots and like cargo shorts and like a white feeder in the ring and I got called on the road like out of nowhere after being there for three months and uh, I didn't have I just bought, and I was only making like 500 bucks a week. And uh, we only had so much money for gear and stuff. And I'm started from scrap. I mean, I knew my history of wrestling and stuff like that, but I was literally started from scrap. And I wasn't the type of guy who could just go buy size 17 boot off the shelf somewhere. Even high spots was like, we don't have it. So I had custom orders and stuff. And they said it was going to be like six or eight weeks. So my first house show, man, it was so bad. Uh, Sneakers? Dean Malenko looked at Huh? Sneakers? No, no, no. I was in, uh, he had me in Timberland, which was even worse. Um, and I had only been, I had been training at Deep South, and we were all stiff with each other. We didn't know any other way. Like, we, and I was wrestling Scotty Tuati was my first match. And I clotheslined him, and he had a fused neck and everything else, about took his head off. And he was like, what the, I mean, I'm not going to repeat what he said, but he was not pleased. And Dean Malenko literally looked at me and goes, you look like, a transient <laughs> and, and uh you know but booker t and chavo and uh, i remember batista walked up to me and gave, he has a real creepy laugh he's like, i like it you know and i was like <laughs> oh man i just want to i just want to die and um uh, i was like and chavo's like so how do you think you did i'm like i didn't kill the guy and he's like <laughs> Nope, you didn't kill him, so you got that. Anything else? I'm like, not really. Like, I literally was just, it couldn't have been any worse. And, uh, but, but the guys were really, they're really cool to me. And then, uh, Batista told me he had similar issues where they kept, uh, buying pants that were too tight that were ripping the ring every night because he was, uh, he was the Batista. He was the, he was like the Reverend with, uh, Deacon. Yeah. With Brother Devon. Yeah. With Brother Devon. Yeah. And, uh, he was going through hell with all that. So, um, but ironically, when we were we were traveling stuff, and in my suitcase, we had 
we had stopped at home when I tried to switch out. I, when I originally, when he told me I had to go, I grabbed my boots because I wanted, if I was going to see Mr. Malenko, who I respected so much, uh, when, during his time in WCW and Japan. And, um, you know, when he was in the WWE, but more so when he was the man of a thousand moves, he was, I really respected his craft. So for him to think of me as like a douchebag, like, you know, some kind of like big guy who just like walked out of the gym one day and said, Oh, here, I think I want to be a wrestler. I hated that. He thought that of me. And, uh, and I literally brought the boots with me. I said, listen, I got my boots. <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> and he was like, you really brought those things. I said, just needed to let you know. It's something that just, I, I didn't want you to think I was that kind of guy. Like, that's it, you know? And uh, after that, uh was good to have a, a decent uh, working relationship. Although he's got a joke every 10 seconds out of his mouth, you know? But Oh, he's hilarious. One of, the, one of the wittiest yeah. guys I've ever come across in the business. And it's funny because yeah, like, it really didn't come across in his promos. It's just like, you never know. Uh, you well, know, I, he was the man of a thousand moves. His, his I got it. If he would have been... He, I, I understood it, but like he would walk around with a pair in his hand and be like, Hey, nice pair. He'd be like, what? And then show you the pair. You know what I mean? Like he was just, that was those, he did that. And I was just, it had a way of like, cause you're stressed out about the match and you're worried about the TV time and everything. And he, as, as an agent, he had a very good way of making you not go so nuts. But at the same time, he wants you to treat it like, Hey, this is a big deal, you know? But, uh, I was, uh, my, my time there uh, you know, eventually I got resigned. I came back, and everything was was a lot better, and and was just uh, there was more opportunities, and and uh, but I really I really like my relationship with him, and uh, uh, my closest American dream, uh, American dream, Dusty Rhodes, and uh, just uh, Dr. Tom Pritchard. There were so many guys that like helped me just keep my head on straight. Uh, uh, Steve Regal. There was just. Um, there's just a lot of guys. I mean, oh, Mike Rotundo, I swear, he, he kept me, he kept me sane. I mean, cause he was, he was just a good, he was just the agent you could talk to, you know? Yeah. They all take so on a different story. personality and they all have their, their place, yeah. uh, you know? And then, but, and then Arn Anderson was the head coach. I got he you. So you, he told you straight. Yeah. You know? So, so now I know why you're so good at your Fox news job, because I just got to tell you, I, I wrote a whole page full of bullet points here, and without me opening my mouth, you've run through about the first six. <laughs> yeah, so, I'm, I'm pretty good at interviews. Yeah, yeah, uh, I'm impressed. So going back real quick to uh, to Deep South, uh, I'm very familiar with Jody Hamilton and, and Bill. Uh, Jody is one of my – Jody is – yes, the masked assassin, for those who don't know. Jody was one of my mentors uh, behind the scenes at WCW, and um, – and I know he's old school. I've been, I was at the power plant, you know, seeing what they put those guys through when they came for tryouts. And, and as a five foot six non-athletic person, I couldn't do it for 30 seconds, let alone uh, all day. I know that uh, FCW, you mentioned that you didn't, it, it was a different atmosphere. You didn't like as much. Uh, they were more corporate, you know, because of the corporate in nature. What were, what were the differences uh, in your mind between Deep South and FCW at the time? Uh, I think, I think for me, it was uh, whenever you have, it's just like a football team. Uh, I, I, I use football analogies a lot when I, when I think about when you're training for something. Um, I had earned my bones and the stripes and my personality with, uh, you know, with 
Jody with, uh, uh, sorry, Mr. Hamilton, and um, Bill DeMont and Dr. Tom Pritchard. And um, I just, it became, like, that's who I was. And then I had a new group. You know, uh, Mr. Kern was a little more, he was a little more less direct in his approach sometimes. Like, he would joke with you. And, you did, and I just maybe didn't always understand his humor. He was he was never like bad to me or anything like that. I just I just don't necessarily think he got me. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he just didn't see it. Um, it was just kind of one of those things, and um, it was uh, it was just a weird. I just didn't know where I fit in. I guess that's the best way to describe it. And you know, some things uh, happened that I took very personal, like. Uh, Sonny Siaki being let go uh, because he made a decision um, to give his kidney to his brother who needed it, obviously. And uh, that was the end of his wrestling career and not really understanding the business side of things or whatever. Uh, I just kind of took it, kind of took it the wrong way. And a lot of, there was a lot of turnover, a lot of friends lost their jobs, uh, which happens with change. And I don't think I necessarily particularly handled it very well. Sometimes you get so caught up in the athletic side of, of professional wrestling that you forget that it's the entertainment business. Sure. And there's going to be changes. And I think um, not growing up in the business, not uh, working indies and, and things like that, not necessarily having a good understanding of that side of things, I think hurt me. And I'm one of those guys that kind of wears frustration on his face. If I'm in a bad mood, everybody knows it. If I'm in a good mood, everybody knows it. I, I light up the room, but I also darken it. So, um, and struggling with like trying to figure out, trying to find your gimmick, you know, trying to find what you, cause I'm a different cat. Like I fought most, I was in fights and street fights and all kinds of stuff like that most of my life, but I never was an angry dude. I actually smiled and I usually talked a lot of trash and ran my mouth to intimidate before a fight. And it was always my experience. The guy who acted all mean and stereotypical was the scariest dude in the room. Sure. So, and you know, uh, wrestling theater. So to be the big angry giant just wasn't my thing because I always laughed at those. Things. I always laughed at the guys in the weight room who screamed at the top of their lungs to barely bench anything. You know, I just didn't get that stuff. I liked being aggressive. I liked being an alpha male. I liked having my pack of giant friends. Like I, I enjoyed being myself, and uh, my size was something that I always was happy to have. So it was kind of a weird adjustment for me. And just, it was, it was just a, I learned a lot. I think I probably could have had a better attitude about some things. And then there's just some uh, misunderstanding and stuff that's between me and the like train, the trainers and stuff like that. And um, so it was a, when the, when the, the call came, it was a sigh of relief for me. Cause I just didn't was, I just didn't see where it was going. I didn't see where we were going. You know, and I think time away, when I came back, things were completely different. You know, they just, they were, we had TV, we weren't training, um, we had shows. And at that time, that's not, I think that was my frustration is that I just needed shows. I had been training for, uh, you know, almost two years. So I was ready or a year and a half or something like that, but it was nonstop training and all I wanted, I needed matches. Right. I needed to work in front of a crowd. I needed to learn my craft and understand how to how to go out there and call it you know what i'm saying like we could all call we could all have great matches at practice 
but completely different. And the trainings that with Mr. Hamilton and everything was the crowd was your meter. That's where you gauged what you did. And he always had a uh, great thing, you know, like when, uh, when him and uh, his partner were wrestling uh, junkyard dog and, and uh, it was Butch Reed or somebody in Louisiana, whatever they wrestled an hour and an hour or something like that, or, or 45 and nobody left. And it was, uh, it was pissed everywhere. And he asked me, you know, why it was pissed everywhere. And I was like, no, sir. Uh, he's like, there's no one left their seat. You know what I mean? Like he was just, you work it, you control the crowd. You tell them when they can go to that. You tell them to think, you tell them to, so that's what I really wanted to do. And that was one of the things I think that I gravitated so much to the American dream because he was so good at telling a story and I would just bug him. I would make him break down his matches for me. You know, like when listening to him, just to how he carried superstar Billy Graham back in the day. And like he would, and as I got more experienced, understood and saw things in the ring that you can only experience if you're in the ring, seeing him basically punishing him for getting a spot or seeing him <laughs> change the, change the script on it. Like their bull rope match. Billy didn't know what the hell was going on because Dusty was just messing with him. And that was the greatest Dusty. So and I think that's why, you know, he, I would always get the speech that I would be, I would pay for his sins because I was one of his, you know, but, uh, I learned so much about life and myself uh, with the time. I, I call them coach all the time. Usually that term of endearment for me with my trainers is I start calling them coach. Never call them by their name and stuff. And, uh, and he, was, he was my last coach. And even when he had me ready to go up top when I went up with Alberto and I was going to be a killer and we worked so hard on being killers doing our thing. And when the Bunkasaurus thing got thrown at me because I used to clown around all the time in the ring because I had fun being in the ring and making jokes was kind of my thing. I don't know where the dancing part came from. You have to <laughs> ask Mr. McMahon about that. But even uh, Triple H was like, uh, what? I'm like, can I go see Dusty first? <laughs> like, can, I just re- can I regroup? Because if there's anybody to help me, he can. And he did, man. He he did. And, and uh, we ended up turning something that could have been really bad and it's something that was kind of cool in that when I, the longer I get away from it, when I look back and I see it, I smile and I laugh about it. Like it was, it was, I entertained, you know, and that's the nature of the business and I could have been a badass or whatever, but like, I think anybody could do that. So yeah. I want to get back to the Funkasaurus in a minute, but I want to go back. Uh, I know that when you're at FCW, you worked um, with the heart dynasty and uh, everybody, yeah. everybody had, has a Teddy Hart story and he's actually uh, uh, kind of newsworthy these days because he's going to be uh, working for Impact Wrestling at WrestleCon. Uh, I was kind of going back and forth teasing Sanjay yesterday. Uh, I used to be Teddy's booker. Oh, well, first of all, Teddy Hart is one of my favorite people. Is he? And uh, yeah, and I have had nothing but uh, great matches and experiences with him. Oh, good. Uh, TJ, TJ Wilson and, and Natty. Uh, we broke in together at these stop and Harry, Harry Smith, who is still one of my, I, I wrestled him for, I was a DQ. He actually owes me a rematch, but uh, <laughs> Harry and uh, Harry and them. And, and like, we were all, we we're all wrestling just into wrestling. So it was just, and, and TJ is my literally favorite person to wrestle. Uh, and he's so great, you know, like just being able to keep up with him or get through a match without him getting mad at you. That, that's, that's, 
that's a great accomplishment. <laughs> he, he literally sleeps moves two steps ahead of you. But uh, I worked. Uh, I got I got in trouble in the ring a couple times taking chances with Teddy, but it was part of the learning experience, and it was fun. Um, there was uh, oh, there's uh, one time it was uh, Kofi and it was like a it was a TJ. It was T. Oh, it was TJ and Teddy versus me and a guy. I think his name was Goliath or something. And we put the match together. And uh, I put the match together. I put it together. And the the kind of thing was it was two big guys against two little guys. And uh, I actually know it was Kofi and Teddy. My, my my brain's coming back to me a little bit. And uh, I always every time I had a match, I always TJ would always watch or Harry would always watch. And uh, Teddy wasn't there for some reason. I put the match together. And the whole point was that me and the other big guy who he was he was almost seven feet. And we just couldn't work well together. We kept making mistakes. That was the story I was trying to tell. Like, I'd slam the guy, tag him. He'd take too much time. He'd miss the elbow. Or, you know, I'm getting in trouble, and the guy covers me, drops the elbow on me. Like, we just made a lot of mistakes, which kept the the uh, smaller guys had one-step advantage, and their baby faces were smarter than us, and we didn't have good teamwork. Finish came down. Uh, trainers liked the match. I remember Mike Bucci hated it. He didn't get the story. He was like, you guys look fumbling dummies out there. You guys kept missing moves. And I was like, well, I was trying to make, in my mind, I was trying to make up for the size difference. There was such a big size difference between us. And before I could finish, he was like, yeah, he called it. He called the whole thing. <laughs> like, yeah, I got here. I was like, okay, whatever you guys want to do. They didn't include me in anything. I just remember going and TJ's looking at me and Kobe's looking at me. I said, I said, my bad. He's like, yeah, but, uh, you know, he really put it together. He was like he threw me under the bus, you know. I don't know if and, you. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but I used to uh, BJ. His dad had hired. I, I did used to book independent wrestlers between uh, the X, uh, XWF, you know, going out of business, which was a company that was an upstart after WCW that uh, that never got off the ground. Um, and uh, so I, w- I had a booking company, you know, uh, book indie guys and stuff, and I was an exclusive booking agent for Teddy Hart from about. Uh, uh, 2002 to 2004 and uh you know the guy had the guy has and still and had and still does have an incredible talent and just a, a very unique individual though uh to say yeah, the least I, like i said he i definitely he's definitely done things to hurt himself he said things that maybe he he shouldn't but that's who he is he's a free spirit sure uh but uh he's he's always been one of my favorite characters and uh the differences and and uh, Harry Smith is probably well. Harry and I would do actually. We used to irritate people because he and I would sit at ringside while guys would work at practice, and we would do Gorilla Monsoon and uh, just the body stuff. He would be the <laughs> body, and his presence were all he would say is "Okay, Gorilla." Like <laughs> he never really. And I did all the I did all the commentating or whatever, and we would sit there and just see how many Gorilla isms I could get in during a match and. It got to the point where we we got pretty like obsessed with it, and I think uh, I remember Rick Lon Stevens, uh, uh, Rick Lon was like in the middle of the night, like guys, would you please stop? <laughs> I was like, sorry, we just call the action, bro. But uh, uh, so yeah, I got a long history uh, with the Hart family, like Natty and I. Uh, when I see, I still see her hard knock south when I train in Florida. Um, TJ and I, we. We don't talk all the time, but if I throw, we throw Texas every back and forth because we were always in front of the monitor. We're the guys 
who always had something to say. Um, so he was, uh, you know, they're very special to me. But yeah, Teddy, I think if there's anybody that, can, you know, he's, I'm sure he's older, wiser now. And, and uh, I'd, def- I'd work him in a minute. Wouldn't think twice of that. Yeah, I hope. I hope because the guy has uh, more talent in uh, his right hand than a lot of guys have in their whole bodies. And uh, yeah. uh, he could just be his own worst enemy. He's just a unique guy. Uh, like you said, a free spirit. Um, so uh, at one point before you, uh, you went to the big leagues, you were part of uh, the NXT reality competition. How was that? How much of that was uh, was a work? How much of that was uh, was a shoot uh, reality TV series? And what were your thoughts on that? Um. Well, the we were season four, I believe. Right. Season and we were moved to the internet. Right. I think. That's why I don't and remember it. I didn't remember it. And yeah. So I, and we were pretty much thrown to the wolves, and we kind of did our own thing, and it got us a lot of attention. And uh, I had one of the best promos out there when, I mean, I thought I, I felt like I won the thing, but, you know, but in all honesty, I also had an inside source. Matt Stryker was helping me, with, you know, uh, I was with uh, Alberto and, uh, well, actually, uh, Jesus was doing, uh, Rodriguez was actually acting my manager because he was, uh, because Alberta was doing so much for on, on Ron's Smackdown and stuff, but uh, uh, it was probably the most fun. It was again another situation where we would just come up together, like, what are we going to do? Because we knew none of us, we were kind of that group that was like, yeah, we'll throw these guys against the wall, and if anything comes out, cool, you know. And it was just kind of like the NXT, of course, grew into its its, its own staple today. But, uh, you know, we were that season that was kind of like, are we going to continue with this? And we went out there and I think we changed a lot of minds. And people look at that stuff because we created our own stuff. Like, I just, uh, Fandango, I looked at him and goes, you want a feud? He was like, yeah. So no matter everything I did, I went out of my way to mess with him. Like, we had our own feud. And then uh, EC3 got involved. He's like, yeah, I want in. So we started doing our own thing. And we basically had our own, I was just bullying these guys. And, you know, <laughs> and then there was the night that I think they had an obstacle course. And there was this thing with chopstick and dice. We had to re- reverse the things, like move them all the way around. And no one could, I just looked at it. And said, all you got to do is turn the table around. So I picked up the table and turned it around. <laughs> and um, everyone was like, these guys are a lot smarter than you thought. But we, we made plans. Like I was working as a heel. I was the only heel on the show. So I would cheat all the time, even when I didn't have to. But I wouldn't just deliberately throw anything to where, because other guys made that mistake. Tarver made that mistake to where he was like, oh, this is demeaning to me, so I'm going to throw it. Like, no, it's not the point. You have to, you have to, if you're going to lose, they have to, I would literally cheat and you would have to catch me in the act. And if you didn't catch me, I won. And I won a few, you know, and, and uh, Daniel Bryant and uh, EC3 had literally one of the best cheating nights ever and if you if you can if scroll back i'll tell anybody it's the most hilarious thing and that's when i'm in the ring going game on and my good buddy is the host matt striker i'm cheating too but they literally was a thing where to see how well you knew who your your coach or your your superstar mentor and they had wrote random answers together so 
they had gone over answers in their heads. So no matter what the question was, Daniel Bryant wrote down the answer that him and, and uh, EC3 came up with. So it was like, beautiful women from Ohio. And the question had nothing to do with that. And EC3 would go, it was, the question was like, name a great uh, female wrestler from 19, whatever, whatever. And he would be like, beautiful women of Ohio and United States of America. And then it would be like, USA. And he'd be like, oh, he's right. And I, was, I just looked at him. Their answers were completely off from what the questions were, but they were right. Yeah, I just recently saw somebody posted, because the EC3 going now to to NXT and WWE, somebody just posted that uh, clip of that on Twitter, and I I happened to click on it and saw it. Uh, Yeah, it was uh, was obviously a total work. It was ridiculous. uh, ridiculous. But it was a work within the work. That's the thing. We were working, so the agents didn't know what we were doing. The first, (laughs) frankly, they didn't care. (laughs) And then it got entertaining, and then it was like... (laughs) Hey, hey, what are you guys doing tonight? Who's winning the Who's winning the arm wrestling? Oh, we're just following the plan. We're all trying to win. Don't give me that shit. You guys are writing your bookers now, <laughs> and we literally were like, let's have some fun, and you know it. It ended up uh, being a really fun series because we, and at that point, we had no fear anymore. There was nothing to be afraid of. And when I came back from that promo I cut, where I ended, I didn't need a I didn't need a contract. All I needed was a parking lot. Um, and you broke my NXT, so I'm going to break yours. And I walked off, and when I come through the curtain, Mr. McMahon is standing there, and he's like, that's a great promo. And I was like, wow, and I didn't even know he was watching. Because wow. he wasn't in the booth yet. He didn't come up to Gorilla until after NXT was done. So for for us and the, the writers that we did have on NXT, like it was one of those things where we got a chance to create, and that's when I really got confidence being creative in the ring and and that's one of the things that i enjoy so much and the fact that most of my peers will let me like we'll put matches stuff together but i was like hey what do you got you got something and i'm like always try to come up with different stuff and, and remember to tell the story and, which is i think kind of a lost art sometimes where you get moves confused with a good story uh but you know it's just a it's a it's a fun process and since wrestling has opened so many doors for me uh, it's just something I'm not ready to let go of yet. Although, you know, obviously Fox News and TV and, and uh, movie opportunities and things like that make it a little more difficult scheduling-wise, but still, uh, I'm still hanging on, uh, not ready to let it go just yet. So just to be clear, the whole Derek Bateman, uh, Daniel Bryant thing was an inside job. Nobody, uh, none of the... Oh, it, no, uh-uh. Nobody no, knew they were going to do that. On that thing is an inside job. <laughs> Now I have to go back and watch the whole series. Yeah, we they had no idea what we were doing. Okay, hey, let's hey, let, let's I'm, I'm going to try to do this. I'm going to try to go back and watch the whole series over the next month or so and uh and take notes and then maybe we could have you back for a short segment and I could uh, you could tell some other stories. Uh, I'm just Absolutely. not I'm just not as up to date with uh, I just happened to see that one segment on I'll Twitter. I'll give you another one. Watch uh-huh. the Piñata costume. Matt Stryker coaches me to where it's at. Matt Stryker was my inside guy. He'll never admit it because he's a <laughs> gentleman, but Matt Stryker was my guy. So you guys are basically just having fun doing your own thing, which is yeah, the, the greatest way. each other over. Which is the over, greatest thing, <laughs> which is the greatest way to learn really in professional wrestling. You know, you could have yeah. all the coaches that you, that you need. And, and I'm not saying coaches aren't important, but, 
to be able to go in and, you know, play around with yourself and see what works and see what doesn't, uh, in my opinion, is really how you get to know, uh, you know, uh, you know, get the confidence to be able to go out and call it without a coach standing there. Yeah, like uh, another one is when I've been a heel the whole time and we started getting and towards the end, it started getting more competitive. Uh, and it was pretty much it was me, Bateman and uh, I'm sorry, EC3 and uh, Fandango and myself. And we were in Sacramento and, you know, EC3 and and Fene were baby faces. So they would say stuff to steal the crowd all the time for stuff. With the, and I was like, I got you guys tonight. And the uh, only reason why I knew it was because uh, I had gotten, a, I had got stuck in Lodi, Sacramento and was at uh, Contra Costa Junior College. And I gave a shout out to Contra Costa Junior College in my, kid's sister who goes to school there and the place went nuts and i looked at them both and i was like i don't have a sister <laughs> you guys in the back i won the round it got the points but like literally they're like oh game on like that was just it was a we we literally just went at each other uh constantly that's like johnny fairplay and, uh, it's like johnny fairplay saying that his grandmother died on survivor turns out his grandmother exactly uh, uh, okay, so I'll, I'm gonna have to go back and and watch that. I'll take notes, and then we'll have you back, so uh, uh, we can truly appreciate it. And uh, and and to the people out there who listen to the the podcast, if you want to go back and I'll I'll try to post on Twitter, see if there's anywhere uh, that has all the, uh, the 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 links to the that's uh, season four of NXT, and we'll 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 do it as a group project. But uh, that's a lot of that's that, that's some fun stuff. I appreciate that. Uh, so getting oh, back, no getting back to the Funkasaurus. Um, so you're, it, it, I'm surprised, uh, you know, to hear that you were happy with that. Most of the, most big guys would want to be a heel, but you explain, you know, that wasn't really your thing. You're, you know, and you do kid around a lot. And, and, uh, so they well, told- no, I was to, to say, I was disappointed was an understatement. I had been groomed to be next is just all of a sudden there was this bad timing where a big show had just, uh, he had just uh, flipped and Kane was coming back and Mark Henry was coming back and all three of them were heels. So it was a situation where here I am another heel. Now I have, I'm coming from NXT in a, a run with Alberto. Um, but the, those three guys are all Hall of Fame. Right. And it's a situation is, do you want to be the fourth monster? Or do you want to be some? Or do you want to take? Or you can go back down and FC and wait your turn, right? Or you can try something different. And I took the challenge of trying something different. I love. I got to tell because, you, I I love the gimmick. I didn't know you back then, and uh, uh, you know, we had never met. But you know, yeah, I was disappointed because Funkasaurus isn't going to be world champ, but. Rhodes Clay could have been just, you know, uh, and Mark won, the, uh, Mark Henry won the championship that year. Big show did Kane did like, they all had opportunities, tag team championships. Like I was, uh, JYD, you know, an opportunity or, or, uh, dusty during his time in, um, with the polka dots. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, and that was my big, big exposure and, being able to pull that off in a shorter time, but I had, you know, I had a lot of support, you know, uh, Triple H was grooming me 
the other way. We spent so many hours going over stuff, filming stuff, working on stuff, uh, superstars. I was beating guys up, even scaring the shit out of the crowd. Like we worked hard. And when he came to me and said this, I accepted the challenge. And, uh, Mr. McMahon, he, at WrestleMania, he danced with me. I mean, he just, he was, they were all supportive. Like a lot of people were like saying, oh, you're being punished for being good or you're being, this is a rib and, you know, and this, that, whatever. But they never treated me like that. They, they literally wanted to succeed. Even the first night when I debuted, uh, the crowd was kind of like, what in the hell, to put it politely. And I remember one guy in the crowd who had shaved his head to look like me and had this beast killer Brodus Clay shirt yelled out, you suck Brodus Clay because he was so upset that came out with the girls and stuff. I yelled, my bad, and the whole place popped. And then it was, <laughs> started breaking the rules, which you're never supposed to talk to the crowd, you know, and I was like, should I get him? And like, I just like, I'm just being his game, like just having fun with it, like whatever would come to my head. And they gave me a carte blanche to do that. But uh, they were all really, and Triple was like, whatever you do, don't look at the internet. <laughs> and he's like, I'm like, I don't care, man. I, I'm so happy to debut and be on my own and uh, not be standing behind somebody like I, I'm fine. They can say whatever they want to say. And, you know, it just, it wasn't, it was some fans, some hardcore fans are upset. Of course, they want things to be a certain way. And I think they've got, they got that when I uh, ended up with, with impact, but um, you know, it was, it was, the, it was, the, it was the scariest, biggest challenge of my career. I was terrified. I couldn't dance save my life. I could talk, but the two things I can't do is sing and dance. Just can't do it. Don't want to do it. Never want to do it. And so for me to be put in that situation, like, thank God for Naomi and, uh, and Cameron, because if it wasn't for those two, man, I had, because everyone watched them dance and I got away with being a bad dancer. Yeah. I, I, you know? I, I love the gimmick. I mean, yeah, sure. You know, it's not going to be a world championship gimmick, but it's sort of a change of pace gimmick where it's not the same old thing. You got the, you know, the lights go. You open and- the damn show. You know, you get everybody excited to be there. And that was the role I was given. And I embraced it and wanted to do it to the best of my ability. So then, then they turned you heel. And you would have thought that at that point, they would have gone through with, uh, with being the monster. Uh, at yeah. The- and, well, and- unfortunately, uh, it just didn't happen. Um, and that's where my frustration started happening because I was so ready and I thought things were going and, uh, you know, was, and then just kind of, I tend to, I think a lot, and I had a lot of things, a lot of pressure on me to, to, on myself that I put on myself, but like I did this part and since we're going away from this, so this is my chance. And there was, there was signs that it looked like it was going to happen. Look, like I was going to have a few with Cena, look like I was going to have some stuff going down. And then when it just wasn't happening, um, I was getting frustrated and then I stopped talking to people and. And, you know, just the, after that, I was just, you know, uh, days remembered. Then there was an attempt to do some stuff at NXT, and I thought we did well with that. And then it was just kind of like, we don't really know what to do with them. So I was sitting at home, and I just I just started training and preparing myself for other things. Like, I could, you know, uh, when uh, when Sweet Tea was going to be a coach and all that, I kind of realized, like, the writing's on the wall for us as a team. So, um and I just didn't, I didn't handle it well. I, I, I let the frustration become my everyday face, if that makes any sense. Sure, no, I understand. And they call it the boo-boo face. I think I reinvented it to the, <laughs> the Brodus face for a while. Like, literally, uh, 
stand out would be like, hey, man, what's, what's good, man? Nothing at all. And it became almost like a thing. If you go, if you go up to Brodus and he's going to be negative. No matter what it is, I'm just going to be negative. And that's kind of like, you know, they're like, oh, everybody likes this guy. Well, I hate him. Why? Because everyone likes him. So he's obviously a fake. Like, I just, that's who I was. Uh, I would come, I'd look and see if I was working. If I wasn't working, I was pissed off. If I was working, I was still pissed off. You know, it was just, I had forgotten. The love of what I did became the obsession of wanting more. Like, I felt I could talk with anybody in the business if given the opportunity. And when I was given the opportunity, nothing followed up. So then I would be more frustrated. And uh, I just, I, my professionalism, I think, suffered. And, and in that, in that experience, I learned a lot because it's helped me in terms of making sure I'm not that guy on the movie set. And I'm not that guy on the Great Godfield show. When things don't go my way, you accept it and you, you move on for it. But I think my arrogance of like, hey, I pulled off a, a really tough character, so you guys owe me something. They don't owe you nothing. And that's, that's the lesson. Like, WWE didn't owe me anything. But I felt like they did because I was like, I sacrificed my opportunity to be world champion or at least United States champion. That was my dream. I wanted to be United States champion like the American dream, Dusty Rhodes. And ironically, I still have never held a title. And that's true. in an era where everyone gets a title, I'm, it kind of bugs me a little bit. But if my career ended tomorrow, would I be a bust? I, I would say no. Like I was, I mean, I just, it's just a, it's one of those things where it's a frustration of mine, but at the same time, like I, it's that hunger of wanting that drive. That's why I'm always training. Like wanting that is like, it's going to come. And if it doesn't, if it doesn't come in the world of wrestling, it's, I'm going to get a Oscar or Emmy or something, but I'm getting some kind of gold at some point. Cause I feel that I definitely deserve to be uh, a champion in something. So I'll just keep working hard and not try to, Kind of sweat small stuff. You know, my my opinion in life is there's two kinds of people. There's people who let that kind of frustration uh, destroy their lives, and there's people that get past it and learn from it. And then, you know, obviously you've learned from it, and 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 so you got to take that as a great life lesson. And you know, I like to tell that kind of stuff to my my kids who are in their young twenties, and and I know you have a uh, uh, young kid, uh, but you know, you must look back at that, and while you might. Frustrated, and you could still hear the frustration. I think you should be, you know, I'm sure you're proud of what you were able to turn that into. Yeah, and, and it's, it's a life lesson. Like, I learned a lot. I learned more in my last three months with the company about who I am as a person. And honestly, like, if I never set foot in a WWE ring or building again, my last day under contract was in the ring with the American Dream Dusty Rose listening to, I just, for some reason, showed up at the facility, just wanted to roll around because I, had, I hadn't been uh, booked and I was getting, I just wanted to roll around a little bit. Right. And he was out there listening to uh, uh, America, Diamond, what's his name? Uh, Neil Diamond, in the ring and just sat with me and he was telling me I, got, I still haven't painted my canvas yet. And he probably knew. He probably knew it was my last day, but that's not, that wasn't our relationship. That's not who he was. He was, always enjoy your time. And we literally uh, sat, told me some stories. We laughed and I had a great day with him. And I went, you know, the next day I was released, but I literally, and then of course I didn't, 
Uh, I talked to him a couple times after that, but uh, then uh, his sudden passing or whatever. But I'm always so grateful that selfishly I got that two hours with him all myself because, you know, he was a very popular guy. Well, it's amazing what an impact uh, that he's had on so many people. We had the Pope on here. We've had others on here who, who, who echo the same sentiments that you, you know, that just uh, uh, all these he years. He was a great ago. teacher. Yeah. I know his wrestling career is whatever, but he was a, he was a great teacher. Yeah. And he was a great coach. Like His wrestling career he speaks for himself, but he's truly, in my opinion, his greatness was his his ability to teach and, and teach you how to use you, whatever your moment is, whatever your gift is to make it, make you amplify. He was a great teacher. Yeah. He was, he was an, he was a man. He was an acting coach, Like he would just throw stuff at you. And he was just, I think about how much, how much confidence I gained with him. Like he did things like one of the things that came down when I real quick, and then I got to get, I, I got to fly, but um, this is what happens when I talk to you. I, I never want to stop talking. Um, but I was, when I first came back to the WWE, when I was, I might've been snacking a little bit much. And I literally weighed in at like 496 pounds. And when they found out that I had gained a hundred pounds since the last time I was there, actually more than that, 150. The Mr. McMahon said, he's got to wear trunks. And I was not looking good in trunks. And I was pretty ups- I was pretty self-conscious about it. And he came out the office one day when we had a show with his shirt off. And he was like, I just want you, I just want you to be alone. And he literally walked around the entire show, the entire day with his shirt off. Just so I could embrace that you gotta love yourself no matter what. Wow. Yeah, and he said, "Wear trunks. You you rock them trunks. You don't slouch. You don't pull them up as high as you can. You beat. That's this is who you are. You got a pretty girl. People like you, but you care, you know." And I was like, "You're right." And for he did that not because he had to, but that's just who he was. And he, I, I never felt bad about my body again. I think, I mean, I'm, I looked a lot different than I did then, you know. But I literally. After that, I was like, I always wanted to wear traditional trunks, but the guys I grew up watching, so I'm going to rock what I want to rock. And um, he gave me that comp- that kind of confidence that I don't, and just because I see his example, like he was, he, he was special to me. Like and just as, as a big guy or whatever, like he literally, and we would have some good arguments that you'd be like, why the hell ain't you champ? And I'd be like, cause I'm not the booker. <laughs> and he I just start laughing and he'd be like, you too damn smart. Yeah. Like, he's he cer- around here. certainly touched a lot of lives and that, and I knew that, but, uh, you know, doing this podcast and listening to stories, uh, like yours makes it even uh, more clear. I was hoping to touch on TNA and impact a little bit, but I know you're running short on time. Uh, I did want to ask mm-hmm. you not to talk politics, but, uh, I did, before we let you go, I did want to ask you, uh, your career is, is flourishing. Uh, you know, you're doing, uh, you know, a little bit of wrestling when you can. You got movies, you got TV, uh, the Fox News deal. Uh, but yet you're not a uh, in, a in a business that, you know, you hear people like Scott Bayo and Ant- Antonio Sabato, who, you know, long careers in Hollywood. And they say, 
because they are, you know, liberals and because they might like or approve of some of the things that the president of the United States does, that they're having trouble getting acting, you know, or any, any gigs, uh, because of a mostly liberal, uh, uh, society, uh, but you're getting tons of those gigs. So I'm wondering how you juggle, uh, your growing career as somebody who isn't a liberal and who has supported the president on. I always live. I always, like, I I don't know those, uh, fellas personally, but I always find making an excuse for something that's happened, whether I, uh, always respect the office of the presidency. Do I agree with everything Donald Trump does? No, of course not. But I don't hate the man. I don't have an issue with him like that. I take things, I'm independent. I take things as they come and I look at them, how they affect me. And I go from there. Um, but if I'm not getting work because of my political affiliate, I mean, I can make argument. Well, I don't get roles because I'm big. I don't get roles because I'm black. I feel like talent always seems to kill. If you're good, I mean, Tom Cruise is a Scientologist. <laughs> I mean, there's so many. I always think that's a cop out. And if you're not getting roles because of your political views, I get it. Maybe if you were this. Uh, like uh, Colin Kaepernick's stance. He's not getting jobs and he's not getting stuff or roles or endorsements because he's extremely political and they just don't want to touch it because he only suits one side of the fence or whatever. I think uh, if you're extreme in any view, you're going to have ramifications like that. But I don't think you can't blame supporting Donald Trump for not getting work. I, I just, I think that's a cop out. You know, if you go on auditions, and no offense, but, I mean, it's been a while since we had Charles in charge. So, uh, <laughs> just keeping it real, bro, and you weren't exactly blowing up the acting gigs when Obama was in either. So, yeah, I was, I, mean, I, I, just, I was just using it as an example. I mean, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, <laughs> if, if you can't get a job and it's not Donald Trump's fault, just keeping it real. He, got, he gets blamed for everything else, but, you know what I'm saying, like, that's uh, this word for that. That's the uh, uh, excuse. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, uh, because I'm there. This know? past uh, week, this past week on Impact Wrestling, you made your return and you uh, came out with EC3. How, how on a personal level, uh, how, was that cool to be able to sort of uh, come full circle yeah. with him? Yeah, we're, we've always been thick as thieves. We train together. We've we've had the ups and downs of it. Uh, so anytime. Uh, him and I get a chance to work together and the crowd seems to like it, the internet seems to like it so uh, we'll see what happens but it's it's always good to be with uh, a friend when you work with and someone you can trust and you know has got your back so yeah it's a good thing absolutely one last question um, there's been talk of you doing a podcast of sorts on Twitch on the uh, Impact Wrestling channel uh, we're sort of doing TNA TNA we're doing Impact Wrestling uh, month having guests from Impact Wrestling sort of uh, to promote their uh, uh, their uh, Twitch relationship, and I was just wondering what the status of that was. If you're going to be doing it, and uh, uh, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be called Enough Said, and it it's not really a podcast. It's more like a variety thing. Like literally, it's going to be more fan oriented, and I'm just going to kind of see who's got talent, who's not, bring some trolls on, have some fun, put uh, put the fans in some situations, see if they really got talent. You know, one one episode will be if you're an actor, you come in on Skype and you do a scene. We'll let we'll judge you and let the people vote. Like we're just gonna have some fun with it. Uh, the idea is make some laughs. Not gonna be too serious. And uh, uh, of course, you know we'll we'll talk about a little wrestling here and there, a little pop culture. But 
there's, we'll keep it light. Lots of guests. Um, that's a surprise guest and uh, gaming stuff and just just have some fun. As always, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Tyrus. Uh, it's unbelievable. It's like he read my mind of the notes I took. I have an entire page of notes of what I wanted to talk about. And without me saying a word, uh, he hit about three quarters of them right off the top. So, And we didn't even get to really talk that much about TNA and Impact Wrestling and, and what happened uh, at TNA with uh, Sale Dixie to uh, Anthem. So... The guy's a mind reader, folks. was uh, unlike anything I've ever uh, had happen on this show, but it's always fun to be surprised. So 20 minutes in, I threw my notes down on the floor and uh, just figured we would talk, which is actually, it's, it's always good to have the notes as a backup, but it's actually what we always try to do on the show is just talk and tell stories. And you got to hear a lot of stories, uh, stories uh, about uh, NXT that uh, doesn't sound like a lot of people know, so... I'm going to uh, make it a point over the next few weeks to see if I could find those. Let's have some fun with it and uh, get some questions for Tyrus and we could have him back down the road and see. Want to wish him well on his Twitch show and want to remind you guys that uh, you could find Impact Wrestling on Twitch. I know that they did their first uh, live event uh, exclusively on Twitch and from everything I heard, it went well and uh, introduced people to a lot of different wrestlers and uh, want to uh, remind you to check that out as well. As always, hit me up on Twitter at David Penzer at Penzer Ringside. Going to keep having more and more fun guests. Been booking the talent for the Legends of Wrestling coming to Augusta uh, in March and coming to Detroit in April. And uh, been speaking to some uh, some big names, uh, Sting, Ric Flair, Eric Bischoff, uh, Ted DiBiase, Ricky Steamboat, and uh, getting to reestablish my friendship and connection with them uh, in order to help facilitate the Legends of Wrestling shows. And we're hoping that we could uh, cop some of those guys to come on over and sit ringside on this very podcast. So we're hoping to, as we go through the year, to have uh, some big heavy hitter names, some Hall of Famers. And that leads me till next week. Until then, I'm still sitting ringside. Have a good one, folks. We'll see you then. Follow David Penzer on Twitter at David Penzer. Also, make sure to follow the show on Twitter at Penzer Ringside. You've been sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. This is an MMA report with Jason Floyd. Quick fix on Radio Influence. Joining me now here on the MMA report is a man that returns to competition on Friday night at the Mohegan Sun up in Connecticut. It is Liam McGarry. Liam, I I appreciate time. Of course, uh, unfortunately, you had to pull out of that fight back in October due to the, the thumb injury. Uh, you had to go through a little bit of recovery there. I mean, how would you describe the last five or six months of your career? Is is frustrating a, a word that you would say? Frustrating, up and down, annoying. Yeah, man, just just shite as well. <laughs> you know, there's a there's a whole load of words that I could use in there just uh, to, to, to throw out there. But yeah, it, it was it didn't go to plan. Let's just say that. The MMA Report with Jason Floyd can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and RadioInfluence.com.